Hello and welcome to another episode of the Boys in Red and White podcast. My name is Tom Dow and I'm joined this week, as always, by my best friend Andre Grayson. Hello, Mr. Dow. Hello, and I'm sure, like me, you are feeling considerably better about life today. No, I'm happy. I'm very, very happy. Uh, last week, we, you know, you, you brought it down uh, straight away. <laughs> I said I was happy in life, uh, but not with Arsenal. And then you, you, you know, informed me that the two and two, the two go hand in glove. So today we're just pure delighted, I presume, because what a performance at the weekend. Really, really was wonderful. And as you just alluded to uh, last week, it was a Arsenal loss. So therefore, my mood is terrible. Arsenal won. Therefore, my mood is brilliant. So life's good because of Arsenal Football Club yet again. Um, so that feels great to say. Now, before we move on to talking about obviously the weekend and what fantastic result that was at Old Trafford, uh, we are going to go to our usual starter activity, which is our commentary quiz. Now, for those that have not heard our commentary quiz before, this involves both of us picking a piece of commentary from a specific goal from years gone by. And we need to read that out without any emotion or context. And the other person has to try and guess what goal that is. So this week is my turn to go first. Uh, we had a bit of a disaster last week with both myself and Andre struggling with the two choices. So I'm hoping today will be more successful. Are you ready, Mr. Grayson? I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay. So, well, here's Flamini. <laughs> Would you like a... I, I was going to give you a little bit more anyway. Would you like a tiny bit more? Um... Right, I'm going to ask for a, an initial... Flamini doesn't score this goal, does he? He does score this goal. Okay. Well, in that case, that is the second goal against Tottenham. It's not. Uh, no? It's not, no. Newcastle at home? Uh, I'll give you the next piece of commentary. So it's, Thank well, here's Flamini and Kleb. I, I can give you a little bit more. I'm going to need it. And I'm going to go with a little bit of context. Is that a little bit of emotion? Hang on. It? Was it against Liverpool? It wasn't, no. What, uh, what a great moment that was, by the way. Though. <laughs> <laughs> it was. That, was. that was in the period where we either drew a game 1-1 or, or won 3-0. <laughs> <laughs> okay. A simple time. Okay, so I'll give it a little bit more. So it's well, here's Flamini and Clev. Flamini! <laughs> <laughs> thank you for that that was wonderful um you got it yet no so it it okay Cleb, so we're talking oa he didn't score many goals this won't this, i should be able to get this okay and if it wasn't against liverpool and it wasn't against newcastle No, I mean I know it's Flamini. I can't even picture the. <laughs> I can't even picture the opposition. That is, that is. He just didn't score many goals. He didn't. I can't think of many where he combined with Alex Sleb. He, he didn't, but it was a, a wonderful combination with Alex Sleb, and it was actually uh, at Stamford Bridge against Chelsea. Oh, of course it fucking was. That game was horrible. <laughs> that equaliser from SEN was horrendous. I, I just. 
he did combine beautifully with Hebert. That is a niche example. No, no because I, I, I was doing my research this morning because, uh, as, as I told you off air, uh, I'm myself and my partner are having to uh, self-isolate because of contact with someone with coronavirus. Um, so I spent this morning sort of researching goals and finding uh, clips where I could find the commentary to put into this. Um, and that was one of the ones that I went to. So very, very, very niche. It was. I liked it though. I liked it, and I don't mind not getting it just to hear your uh, proclamation there of flamini in such wonderful commentary terms. I, I would. Ju- um, I would just like to add as well that I, when I was researching this, I did also, as you do, you go down a wormhole for uh, YouTube, don't you? So you do. I, I then started looking at compilations of Flamini. And the only reason I was looking for compilations of Flamini is that I wanted to see that horrific tackle he did within two seconds of his second mm. debut for Arsenal against Tottenham. And it's remarkably hard to find. Uh, I got there in the end, and one of the videos that I went to was actually titled Matthew Flamini, Kung Fu Fighter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Now we're talking. Well, here's Flamini. Slab. Flamini! Goal for Arsenal at Stamford Bridge from Mathieu Flamini in the 78th minute. What a move. What patience. Pass, pass, move, pass. Go across, come back, go back across again. It's fantastic stuff the way they work this ball. Patient all the way along. And for once, they get red and white shots up in and around the box. And the most unlikely of heroes, he might just about to make himself Matthew Flamini. I actually have got a question for you, which you might get, but I don't know why I know this, but who was in goal for Chelsea that day? Uh, It was Hilario, wasn't it? It was Hilario, which is... a hilarious name. I mean, <laughs> he was pathetic. He, he should have saved that. He should have, he should have saved it. And yeah, hilariously bad from Hilaria. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, why, do, why do we know that there's a player at Chelsea? He's what, their fourth choice goalie? He, wear, he wore number 40 on the back. I don't need this knowledge. Why do I know that? The least I could have done is get the commentary right. It, it is worrying, though, that the only things I know are useless things like that. Like, anything useful, I don't have a clue about. <laughs> well, let's put that to the test. Let me, let, me, uh, let, me, let me roll on to this one. Okay. You ready? I am ready. It opens up for him. It's his second. Oh, I can hear it. I can see it. Do you want a bit more? Yeah. It's the security they needed. Oh, oh, Sammy Nasri's second against Man United. <laughs> oh, I don't like it's one of my favourite goals of all time. It's just the, the perfect, perfect goal against your biggest rivals. Uh, oh, well, what a fantastic goal that was. I, re- I remember I was in the clock end for that one. And it was absolutely tremendous to see. And it wasn't until you saw the whole replay on TV in the evening where you saw just how many passes we linked together and just how intricate that play was. Because it was just the perfect example 
of how to open up an opposition without leaving their half. We just kept them penned in and just kept the ball from the from the corner of the pitch. We went back to the halfway line and just worked the ball fantastically. And Manchester United just couldn't live with that. And it's it's one of the best goals I've ever seen. I'm, I'm not even. <laughs> I don't even think I'm overstating that goal with that statement. No, no, I uh, I'm inclined to agree. I mean, I, I would have watched that. Uh, at home in Spain, and I remember Andy Gray going mad about pass, pass, pass. They almost <laughs> passed the life out the ball. <laughs> and then it opens up this little magician. <laughs> uh, and I just, that was, that was, I think, one of the first games I really, when, when would it have been? 08, uh, 07? I think it was, it would have been the second year at the Emirates, I think. Yeah, so I, I, 16, 17, I sort of started, you start to understand football in a different way at that point. And that was the first time I appreciated, not that I hadn't already, but really understood the art of what we had just done and how hard it is and how much the team was in complete harmony to carve apart the best team in the league at the time. Um, stunning goal. I really... That was one of those games, and I wanted to find an example against Man United to sort of set us up for this, um, because beating them is so special, and that one felt particularly special, because we seem to manage to beat them when we're perhaps not expected to, even at home, you know, but to currently be five unbeaten against them, and to have got what we did over the weekend, just another reminder of a great moment against them is always, always welcomed, is what I'd say. Here's Diaby. Now to Nielsen. Fabregas, chance for Nasri, it opens up for him! It's his second! It's the security they needed! Well, if there's ever a typical Arsenal goal, we've just seen a typical Arsenal goal. Pass, pass, pass. That does bring us on very nicely to the game, as as you as you did so eloquently. Uh, it's a good job I didn't ask you to go first, isn't it? <laughs> it is, and we didn't plan that. So you, there you go. It all <laughs> sometimes it comes together. Yeah. So moving on to uh, Sunday, which obviously we've both alluded to how how much we enjoyed it and how happy we are as a result of that of that performance. Um, so Andre, would you like to kick us off with your thoughts on uh, on Sunday? You and I have proclaimed that Mohamed Elneny is the best Egyptian in the league uh, on this podcast. What we didn't realise is he's the best player in the Premier League. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I, will just, I, go- I will just interject there because uh, I was speaking to um, my, my friend uh, Jonathan Dunn, who kindly hosts this podcast. And I, I think it's probably a bit of a shame that we've not mentioned it beforehand. But he texted me uh, when it was 1-0 and El Nene was bossing it and said to me, can you please refer to El Nene's recent performances as the Real Nene sons? <laughs> so we, we, we will now always call it the Real Nene sons until we have any reason not to. So thank you for that one, Jonathan. <laughs> yes, and thank you, Jonathan. We are... We are most certainly grateful, um, that is for sure. I don't know if Rel Nenesance will, will catch on. Um, I did see him described 
as uh, <laughs> the something Seydorf uh, or, or something Hullet. I don't know, like um, it was it was fairly the pyramid Hullet or something. Um, something suitably offensive, but is only sort of full of praise for him because there are many things to enjoy about this game. I think particularly the first half we were excellent and completely bossed them. And I think a huge amount of credit will go to Arteta. But individuals and our midfield is such a crucial part of what's gone wrong. And I know we're going to get round to talking about how excellent Thomas Partey was and what he offered. But you just don't expect the performance from Mohamed Elneny because we would sell him for six million. Um, I wouldn't sell him for six million now, is what I'd say after seeing that performance at Old Trafford. Yeah, he was absolutely fantastic, and I think it kind of summarised his performance in the uh, in the dying minutes of the game when we that that clip that it's been going around of him chasing down Man United and, and pressing them on his own and succeeding to to win us a throw in, and I think that kind of summarised his whole performance because from start to finish his energy was fantastic, his passing was 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 sharp. Uh, he linked up well with Thomas Partey, and they seemed to develop a really, really good partnership from from the the, the get go. Um, and what I really enjoyed about the game is that I went on Twitter just before um, kick off when the team had been announced, and the uproar at that team selection was ridiculous. Um, everyone was questioning the inclusion of Rob Holding. They were questioning the inclusion of El Nene. Um, they were including uh, Lacazette and the fact that Bamiang didn't play down the middle. And I thought, as a whole, you could maybe make a question that Lacazette was maybe one of the weaker players that we had on, 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 on overall. But I thought every single player played well, and particularly Rob Holding and Elneny as two players we didn't maybe expect to play. I thought both of them were outstanding. So... Yeah, uh, it was nice to sort of to go back on Twitter after that and all of a sudden all these people going, oh, that was that was great. It wasn't that brilliant from Arteta. And I really wanted to say, you're a wanker. You can't celebrate this. Go away. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, eloquent, uh, as ever. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, we've broken our uh, expl- explicit curse already, so that, that was setting up further tone. Um Let's let's just look at it like this, though. Um, when that team came out, I sort of raised an eyebrow, let's just say that. But you just have to have faith in Arteta, and we saw why. I saw um, something, this is the most bizarre thing to say. Gary Neville tweeted a picture of a diamond, uh, and it took me a while to work out what it was. Um, and then their team came out, and I was like, oh, he's really happy about this because they smashed RB Leipzig. Um, and fair play to them. But I was just like, if Arteta's watched that diamond, I have every faith he'll shut it down. And we have talked about Scott McTominay as being absolutely useless. He was absolutely nowhere. Pogba, I still think Pogba's incredibly talented and you don't know what you're going to get. We shut their best player uh, of recent times, Fernandez, down like he wasn't there. I don't think he got a kick. Um, Rashford, I'll admit, just really does terrify you. He really, the pace, the turn, the speed, the precision of the pass, that ball to Greenwood was outstanding. That is all they had, though. We systematically shut them down. Uh, it started with complete, uh, completely coordinated pressing, of which Willian, Lacazette and Aubameyang as a trio were absolutely crucial. Um, and then you back that up with the absolute powerhouse 
and everything we've missed in midfield in Thomas Party, who couldn't have been complimented better by anyone, I don't think, in world football, uh, <laughs> other than Mohamed Elneny. The back four were class. I mean, Bellerin is coming into his own. Tierney is just an absolute warrior. Uh, and then I've, I've left out Bakayo Saka, who is just turning into an absolute gem and does everything we would ask. And every player to a man was spot on. Um, and to go to Old Trafford and despite their form, get the monkey off our back uh, about the win. It was just it was, love. You know, I just remembered why I love this club so much, because that is what it's all about. And when you win a big game like that away from home in the Premier League, it just fills you with such joy. Um, so I, I, I'm euphoric. I'm still euphoric. I'm so happy. I'm so happy we got that monkey off our back. I think as well something plays into this. I didn't realise how much I hated Man U still until the game kicks off. I don't think about them much anymore. I'm always glad when they lose. But I wanted us to win so much. And then the way we started and didn't take chances, I was desperate. Um, so I'm just, I'm so happy. I honestly, I'm just so happy right now with every single player that played. Um, I don't even know what you can say to that. I just, I've not got a question. I've not got a point. It's just a train of thought I've been dying to say. No, that was wonderfully put, wonderfully put. And I think you, you have summarised... Uh, pretty much all elements of, of that game really, really well. Um, just to sort of go back to uh, the first half performance. Now, as you say, we completely dominated the first half um, and it was uh, disappointing that we hadn't gone into the into the break leading. But I, I questioned whether we would be able to maintain that into the second half because, as, as was shown, uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer changed things up slightly and he reverted back to a more, a more familiar shape, um, which... I think it took us a, a little while to sort of get to grips with without them ever looking like they were going to break us down. Um, and then obviously we had the middle of the second half where we, we sort of got back on top. Aubameyang had that chance created by Lacazette um, and then obviously the penalty. And it was only until the last maybe five minutes or so when Man United started throwing crosses into the box and you started to think, OK, well, maybe this is going to be a bit shaky. But with the exception of... Uh, the cross that deflected off El Nene and then off of uh, off of Leno's head onto the post. You can't really say Man United ever looked like equalising. And I think that's testament again to the fantastic shape and the fantastic job that Arteta has done at Arsenal. Because currently we, are, we have the best defensive record in the Premier League. We've let in seven goals in seven games, which in this topsy-turvy campaign where goals seem to be going in left, right and centre... I think that's nothing short of incredible. And when you factor in the fact that Liverpool scored three of those against us and we've played Man City away and we've played Man United away, then all of a sudden that looks very, very impressive. So that would be the big thing I've taken away from that. And I think a key part of this, which uh, I don't think you mentioned him when you when you just <laughs> praised everything, and maybe that was intentional because you know I love a centre-half, and... I think a big part of it is down to Gabriel coming in because he has been absolutely incredible since he's come into the club. Um, he's played at Anfield, he's played at Man City, he's played at Man United. And in that time, we've let him one goal in those games that he's played. Uh, so what a fantastic signing he is. And for the price that we got him for, that looks like one of the bar bargains of the season because he's completely transformed our defence. He looks like... Uh, someone who could be our Virgil van Dijk, who can control the defence, who can um, dominate in the air, 
whose passing is sharp and accurate coming out of out of defence. I can't praise him enough, and I'm so excited with him arriving at the club. And just to sort of go further with that, I think it really shows a, a transition from our, our transfer policy because we have signed two players in Gabriel and in Thomas Partey who have come in and instantly made us better. And that's so surprising because we've not done that in recent years. We've signed players and they haven't immediately improved us. But these two players have transformed what this club can do and what we're capable of doing. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and I think the point you made there is, and I don't, I'm feeling so full of praise, I don't want to um, dampen anything, but that's what Xhaka and Mustafi were meant to be for us at the time. Absolutely. And when you look at, I mean, you put it perfectly, Gabriel, I saw things like people saying he could have walked. He made three fouls in the game. He was ultra aggressive. He didn't give them an inch. And we have lacked that. But he's dominating in the air. But what I thought was interesting is that Partey made basically our whole midfield better. And he basically, Partey made the team better. But he definitely made Elneny look better. Gabriel makes Holding look better. And suddenly you go, have we got a couple of partnerships there that we can build on? Because if you actually look at the exterior of our team, you know, fullbacks, wingers, etc., that's really strong. Because now suddenly I'm going, my goodness, can you imagine if we had a mobile clinical number nine I'm not talking about a Bamiyang through the middle I think we want that to be a solution um, and as you, you alluded to I thought Lacazette actually played quite well I thought he pressed a lot better and didn't give away silly fouls um, but can you imagine having a top draw number nine there who's capable of doing it would be you're suddenly going wow we could be a serious serious outfit um, it's hard not to get carried away isn't it it, it, I remember. it is and I, I i sort of have to sort of pinch myself and go back to the podcast we recorded last week because we yes we were both very clear on what the problems were um but i think you kind of have to use that as a, as another testament to arteta because in the space of a week he has found uh well he's identified what the problems were and he's found a way to counter that and we have got this monkey off our back of not beating any of the big six teams away from home um, and that's, I think that's massive because now we go into those games in the future and we don't have to worry about that conversation being had. Um, of course, the pundits will probably say Arsenal have only won one in 30 against the big six away. Yeah, um, yeah. But it's just nice to have that off our back and be able to, to sort of move on. And I think that's another really significant moment in Arteta's time at the club. We can talk about the FA Cup win. We can talk about the Community Shield. We can talk about beating various opposition. But I think winning away to one of your potential rivals, I think that's a massive, massive moment for Mikel Arteta. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I think we were, I remember to sort of, I tried to temper the mood um, <laughs> mainly for you, uh, last <laughs> of it not being that bad, and this isn't that good. I mean, the the only that it's so hard not to get carried away when it's like that when you're you're naturally so desperate for it to be positive. Um, I was a bit. I would love. I would loved our goal to have come from open play. Um, that just for the pure elation of it, because I still think we saw evidence of what our problems could be in terms of taking those chances and in the final third but you know just for us to have that stability and to take a clean sheet at Old Trafford it is just 
it is just wonderful. I'm delighted Bamiyang scored as well. You know, I don't really care that it's a penalty. Still, still got to score them. Um, I have to say, if you'd have told me we would win 1-0, Mike Dean as the ref, and we got a penalty, um, and there was a potential red card we could have had, I, I, I wouldn't have believed you, basically. Um. <laughs> well, yeah, we, we, we text each other, obviously, throughout the game. And uh, I remember texting you about 10 minutes in when, arguably, Rob Holding could have been booked. And I can't remember who the other one was. It Willian that should have been booked as well. Um, yes. And there were both challenges with it, which, if you fast forward 30 minutes, are probably nailed on yellow cards. And because they happened inside the first 10 minutes, neither one of them were given. So it's... Uh, yeah, it was an interesting game, um, but you, I, you just got to praise Arsenal because, and I don't think we've got enough praise for this performance because everyone's been focusing on Manchester United and how poor they were, and they were poor. But at times, that was because of how we played. We played to counteract their system. They played their system in the Champions League and put five past Leipzig. And obviously, Arteta's seen that they were going to do that and found a way to stop them playing that open, expansive football. Um, now, you, obviously, we te- uh, before the game when we were texting, you texted me in the morning and said, uh, percentage-wise, ha- what sort of chance do you think we've got today? And I said 10%. <laughs> <laughs> and looks ridiculous now because the performance, like if we play like that, we could have won that game 2 or 3-0. Um, and I think Rob Holding alluded to that in one of his press com- uh, post-match press conferences as well, mm. um, where he said we could have won 3 or 4-0, but I'll take 1-0. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we will. And also the clean sheet is is wonderful. Um, but it just gives you hope, really. And I think, you know, we said last week, six games to have three and three, suddenly seven, and you've got those bigger ways. Yes, we got nothing from them, the, the City and Liverpool. And yes, losing to Leicester was incredibly frustrating. But we said one of the key things is, can Arteta fix it? And can he fix it quickly? And he showed that he has got an aptitude for doing that. And we just need to get behind this man. Um, And I think more and more evidence is mounting that he is going to help us knock down walls. We have needed to knock down monkeys off our back that we've needed to get off for a long time. Uh, He also, what he gave me hope for, by the way, I'm still worried about the league. I think the league is really erratic. It gave me a lot of hope for the Europa League because we can shut teams down and actually I fancy us nicking an away goal and teams struggling to break us down over two legs. And I I can't believe I'm saying that, you know, and that's the thing that gave me hope is actually, if you look at the Europa League, which I think I'm desperate to win and could still be our best path into the Champions League. Although, you know, that does feel like the league could still be it, but we need that double chance we need those two chances because we, we have to get back in the Champions League. And it gave me great hope for that. I must say the way we shut them down um, was so impressive. Yeah, it really was. And as you say, I I would probably say the Europa League is, is maybe um, a, a slightly easier um, option for us in terms of getting in the Champions League. But... I don't think there's going to be a Premier League season for a while that is this wide open for anyone to get mm-hmm. into the top four. Like I'm looking at it this year and thinking there are teams that you wouldn't expect that you could potentially see forcing their way into the conversation just because everyone seems to be taking points off everyone. 
And I think that's why it's going to be really important to not do what I did last week and start panicking about results and things because everyone's going to drop points at different uh, different stages. The only team you can really see having that consistency is Liverpool and even they look vulnerable. Okay, we can look at that result against Villa, which was a complete anomaly, but they've not looked quite themselves pretty much since we played them, actually. <laughs> um, yeah, so, sod's law. Yeah, it's just the way it is, but... I think everyone looks like they could lose lose points. So it's, it's such a big opportunity for any team that can get some sort of consistency to force their way into that into that top four. And obviously, once we once we are back in the top four, um, then obviously we've got a lot more manoeuvrability in terms of the transfer market and signing players and things like that. So yeah, it's uh, it's exciting. You just trust we'd stay there. Yeah, you know, under Emery, it felt like if we got there, we'd fall straight back out. I had no faith. Um, this gives me a lot of hope, a lot of hope. And and I was actually looking at uh, sort of next round of fixtures because City have got Liverpool, which will be a fascinating encounter. Um, I was actually looking because I was <laughs> after you said it, I was starting to panic about Spurs. Um, <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> but then I I sort of um. They've got West Brom and then they've got City at home, Chelsea away, Palace away, uh, Liverpool away, you know, and then us. Oh, sorry, Leicester, then Wolves away. And it's like, oh, yeah, don't worry. They've actually that thing I said to you where they really have played no one. They really have played no one. Yeah. Um, and if we can keep up some semblance of stability, we should start to see that play out. I mean, the Villa game is absolutely massive because Villa are quite erratic. Um, but again, like you said, you know, we just have to calm down with all results. Um, but it's just when the result is man you away and you win like that, it is, it is absolutely fantastic. Um, I think as well, it'd be good to touch on the, uh, well, I don't think there's anything else to add over that. I mean, just so many enjoyable moments, um, uh, and knowing that we've got an amazing manager and they've got a clueless man, in their on their dugout, we we really need Solskjaer <laughs> to stay. <laughs> we want you to stay. <laughs> yeah, just, um, but but what I find fascinating about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is that he keeps having these sort of false dawns. Where like obviously since the the, the Tottenham game when they lost six one, they've seen they have recovered and they've been scoring goals. And all of a sudden, everyone's saying, "Oh, oh, that's fine. It was just a blip, and they're, they're back again." And he keeps having these little little moments. Like towards the tail end of last season, up to the FA Cup semi final, when they they looked really good, and then it just all collapses again. And that's why, like you say, he is someone you want to stay at Manchester United because if he goes, I can see Pochettino going there, um, and I don't want that because I think he would make Manchester United better. And at the moment, Solskjaer is so far out of his depth, and everyone knows it, everyone can see it, but for some reason, he still has a job. <laughs> I know it's incredible clinging on clinging on um yeah it's great seeing them be terrible um but you know what I actually thought is yes they're bad but they've been bad for a number of years now and we've still not won there so I actually thought back to last year when you and I were at Old Trafford on a Monday night, I want to say. That was commitment, that one. Yeah, that was Monday night. It really was. Yeah, Monday night up in Manchester. And we had that Aubameyang goal turned over by VAR. And we were so pleased, but so frustrated that we'd let a chance go. And we hate Scott McTominay and he scored. And 
we were very frustrated and you just left going oh that was nothing like it was just a nothing result one all there I also remember going to the two all where Mustafi scored uh, and then they scored a minute later and then Lacazette scored and they equalized a minute later um, and being at that one as well and just being like oh, why does everyone win here except us and now we finally have. <laughs> uh, and I just hope we can go there and win by two goals sometime soon. Because that is, have you seen the statistic? Our last six results dating back to 1942 uh, or something like that. I may be wildly wrong there, actually. But in the, no, in I, the, I don't know. In the, in the league, I know, I know it is the last six results we've had there when we've won have been 1-0 victories. 1-0. And it's like dating back like years like 40 years or something. I don't know if it goes back to 1940. It's so many years. I mean, I mean, I mean, the ones I can go back to is obviously the most recent one, which just happened. And then it was Adebayo in 2006, Wiltord in 2002, Overmiles in 98. And I think before that would have been Anders Limpar in a one mm-hmm. in a one nil win. And I think that was the brawl at Old Trafford as well. So uh, we got points docked as a result of that. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever seen that brawl back? I have, yeah. It's, it's exciting. I don't it? understand why points are docked. No, I don't. I don't. Um, was it Nigel Winterburn that started everything? <laughs> <laughs> Possibly. Who, when you see interviewed, you cannot believe that that man started a brawl. There's a really good interview. <laughs> There's a really good interview as well. Um, where it's a video clip of George Graham giving a, a speech to the squad at uh, Arsenal's training grounds uh, after that. And it's really just fascinating listening to him talk about it. Yes. That's a great interview. That creating that sort of all against us mentality. Yeah, and he just he just keeps saying that everyone's having a great time, everyone wants to get at the Arsenal. Um, don't worry about that. Keep getting performances, keep winning games. And obviously we went on and won the won the title that year. So that was um probably fantastic management by George Graham. But it's a really, really fascinating small clip of an interview to to show sort of what George Graham was all about, um, because for, mm. for for us certainly he was he was before our time, before we were really sort of brought into the Arsenal supporters hood, and to see things and hear things about George Graham uh, just goes to show what a fantastic manager he was for Arsenal. And I, I know he kind of soured that when he went to Tottenham, but I think most people have kind of forgotten about that and remembered how how impressive he was not only as a, a manager but also as a player for Arsenal. Absolutely, absolutely. Club legend and a masterclass in leadership there, I must say. Um, and talking of a masterclass in leadership, I think we just need to give a nod to the fact it's Unai Emery's birthday today. Oh, happy birthday, uh, Unai. So many memories, <laughs> so many fantastic memories from that man. Honestly, the only one that jumps out is the 4-2 at home to Tottenham. Um, nothing nothing else really makes me go, oh, oh, oh that, was, that was great because the football wasn't great um, and... What whatever good he did in his first season was completely undone by that horrific run in and obviously the Europa League. So, yeah, the the end of Unai's first season was a disaster, but there were points at the start where I was quite excited. Um, but you know what? Maybe we'll save some Unai Doomsday cast for a. a, 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 a Another time. Another yeah, time. we don't want to bring him down on his birthday because he's definitely no, listening. No, it's his birthday. He's definitely listening. All, like, Unai listens to improve his English here, I believe. Um, I believe that's what he did anyway. Not that, you know, maybe that would have kept him in his job. Never mind. Um, so I, I actually wanted to ask you what to talk about, really. Um, Dundalk. Um, oh, of course. We, we didn't... <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, right, here we go. Um, now, just in case any listeners didn't hear last week's episode, uh, I posed Andre with a dilemma that I had, which was that I was taking my fiance away for her 30th birthday. And this obviously clashed with Arsenal's uh, Europa League game with Dundalk. And Andre gave me a solution, which was you shouldn't watch it. I agreed with the solution. And then ultimately, I ended up watching it. (laughs) (laughs) And I think just to check for the listeners, she's still your fiancé. She is still my fiancé. And in my defence, I asked her on multiple occasions. I said I I was happy to miss it. And she said, no, no, it's fine. You can watch it. So, and upon reflection, would you have been happy to miss it? Yes, it bored me to tears. <laughs> <laughs> like it really, really bored me. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I have to say, um, I hoped you'd miss it. I hoped, you know, it was all going to be fun. I thought if there, like we said, if there was ever a game, although I sort of didn't know whether I meant it because I thought we'd might go mad with goals but there's just not really much to say about the game I think one thing I took from it was I think Joe Willock really would be an outstanding player in the League of Ireland <laughs> um, <laughs> I didn't know where you were going with that <laughs> uh you know, it's so hard because you really can't work out the calibre of opposition. I was really excited by Willock sort of going, you know, his runs and you could see what that might offer to the first team. And I still think he could do it. And I do think he has improved quite a lot, actually. I think in that game, you really saw, oh, he really is a level above this. Yeah. Um, And sort of, because you saw, I thought there was a real difference between you know, if you compared three players, and it, it's terrible that Pepe's included in what I'm about to say, but it, he really is. You know, Pepe, Willock, and Nelson. I actually thought Willock looked the most sort of accomplished in what their role is and what they're trying to do at Arsenal. You can see Willock's use perfectly. Pepe, moment of class, but the rest of it frustrating. Nelson, if he had an end product, he'd be up there with Ronaldo. Um, <laughs> you know, and it's that sort of level of... Uh, I just think you saw something from Willock that we haven't seen, but I've seen a lot of Willock as well, and I'm not sure there is the player we hope. Um, no, he's a, he's he's a frustrating one that you look at the attributes that he has, and you think that he's he's got it all in his makeup to be a really really top player, but it's just whether it can all come together. And what I found absolutely insane is the number of people who said that he should start at Old Trafford. I saw loads of team selections with him in it. um, And I found that absolutely extraordinary because you can't compare going to Old Trafford and playing Dundalk at home. So Maybe there's more similarities than we think, Tom. Maybe there are. Maybe (laughs) there are. um, Because as we saw, Dundalk are only three times worse than Man United. So I I have to say, Dundalk producing... Not one foul was incredible. How did that happen? A team that is defending the entire game. How do you not give away a foul? Did you see their manager? <laughs> I don't know if you heard this in the press conference. Praise the question from the pre- uh, from the journalist that asked this. Went, my men, my men are gentlemen, and I was like, 
What do you mean they're gentlemen? Like, what's, what's that prove? I, mean, I don't understand. Th- this is all- and we should have had a penalty. We sh- yeah, but this is also a man that doesn't even have the correct licence to be coaching at that level. Uh- so <laughs> We are gentlemen. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I love the Europa League. It's just great. I hate it. Everything's great. I, about. I, I, I honestly think they are the worst team we've played in the Europa League. I've ne- I don't think I've seen a worse team than that because they just offered nothing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Vorskla. Yeah, um, that's yeah, his, that's a good shot. Bad. Barte came to attack and they lost six nil, which I thought was, I admired it in many ways. They did exactly what they, I think they played a high line and we we absolutely ripped them to shreds. Um, Vorskla were terrible, um, but I don't think I've seen a team at a lower level at the Emirates than Dundalk. Yeah, you could just tell, and I, and I actually sort of I. I admired their application. I thought it was very impressive. And I think it must be so hard to motivate yourself as a Premier League footballer to go and beat that team. It must be hard. Yeah. It be like, I just don't piss around. Yeah. Try and Rabonas and nutmegs every time you get the ball. You've just got to be ultra professional. And, and we were, because I saw people losing their mind we weren't ahead but we, we were always going to win that three or more nil you know it just it was going to happen even if it was nil nil at half time um and let's see what Mulder brings on Thursday what yeah what a name describe the Europa League in one word mold <laughs> <laughs> what a competition what a competition uh before we move on to the the final section what I did want to just ask you about quickly because it's something that's been in and around football for a few weeks now. We've not really discussed it on here, and that is the pay-per-view. Um, so, obviously, on Sunday when we play Aston Villa, we are again on pay-per-view, and I think this is the third time Aston Villa have been on pay-per-view, which, if you're an Aston Villa fan and you pay for all those, it's going to cost you £45 to watch three games of football, which is, is absurd. Um, so, I wanted to get your opinion on what you thought of the whole situation, Andre. Hmm... So the issue with me is that I'm able to justify any amount of money virtually, not not literally any amount, but within my my budget. (laughs) Look in my wallet. (laughs) Make it rain. (laughs) Any money. Million pounds, no problem. Um, (laughs) We'll wait. We'll see if we get a sponsor before I start, you know, uh, touting (laughs) funds. Um, I would spend 15 pounds to watch Arsenal. I spend. I think I spend fifteen pounds getting to and from the Emirates. If I were factoring in petrol, getting a drink or something up by the ground before the game, travel on the tube, parking, I probably spend fifteen pounds. But that's to go and experience things at the stadium, not this. I mean, it, I think if I look at it like this, it feels wrong. It feels wrong. It feels too much. I'm okay with the pay-per-view as a concept, right? I, I, I get it. But because I'd pay anything for Arsenal doesn't mean I can't see the ridiculousness of the situation. I would not pay £15 for any other game. And £15, you know, on Saturday, whatever it was, Sunday night, I, I'm, I was like, actually, I wouldn't mind watching the Brighton Spurs game. But I wouldn't pay £15 for it. Would you pay a fiver? Maybe. 
I think they've got the pricing all wrong. £15 is a lot of money. I think in the current economic climate and everything going on, I'm so disappointed they feel they need to do this. I'm kind of, I can, if they're going to go pay-per-view, fine, but make it like a fiver, cost of a pint in a pub in London. Um, and I just think it's disappointing. I saw the viewing figures for our Leicester game on pay-per-view, 140,000. That's a lot of people spending 15 quid. Yeah. Um, and I just, I think socially, it's a disgrace. As a fan, I can get my head around fifteen pounds. Yeah, I, I probably quite a similar view to you uh, because both of us paid for the uh, Leicester game, and what what I found is a, a real wrench is that I, I'm past the point now where if I don't have to rely on streams, I, I really, really don't want to. And like yeah. you, when it comes to Arsenal, it, it is kind of well, that's part of part of my finances for the month. They have to go towards Arsenal, or that's that's just part and parcel of my life. So I feel like I have to do it. And I did feel bad when I looked at the Arsenal Supporters Trust who who set up um, with the Islington Food Bank. And I think overall they, they raised nearly £40,000 because of people mm. boycotting pay-per-view. And it's fantastic. And I really, really wish I, 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 I really wish I could contribute by not um, obviously watching paying for the game. But it's something that I just don't feel like I can do. And, and it, inevitably, when it comes to Sunday, I'll pay for the game again, despite my reservations and how disappointed I find myself feeling towards the Premier League and and the football clubs um, who are responsible for this. So it's it's a tough one. Um, the pricing, as you say, is, is all wrong. Five, a, a fiver, I would probably find myself paying to watch other games um, like Aston Villa, Southampton, I thought looked like a good game on paper. It's very easy to say that now when it ended 4-3, but <laughs> that's the sort of game that I think looks quite an interesting one. So maybe that's something that I would, but I'm not going to spend £15 on watching a game considering what I also pay to watch football on TV generally. Well, that's that's what it's about really, isn't it? I mean, I, I don't know what my Sky subscription is, you know, call it 80 quid a month. Um, I don't know if it's that much, between 50 and 80. Uh, <laughs> That's quite a wide spectrum. <laughs> I suppose it is. Yeah, but I'm trying to remember, because I, I used to know, but now I've had to have Virgin as wife. Anyway, I'm cancelling it all soon when I move anyway. So I'll have a very clear, precise picture soon for everyone. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, yeah, I think, I think it's really poor. I, I personally, though, and I think this is more uh, definitely a, a you and I uh, issue, I would pay the £15 to not stream it. I can't deal with streaming. Um, it, it stresses me out too much missing a minute. So I will be paying for the game on Sunday. Yeah, and so will I. So it's, uh, I suppose, kind of a, <laughs> kind of a pointless conversation though to be had. But um, I just thought it'd be worth it because it's very relevant at the moment. I thought it'd be worth sort Absolutely. of having a conversation. And I think what is happening is there is going to be some conversation about... Uh, pay-per-view after the international break so maybe that'll be about the, about how much it costs but as you say if, if 140,000 people are watching it and paying 15 pounds um, that's that's a lot of money for for the the broadcasters for the Premier League and for the club so it's difficult to see much changing but if they do I can't imagine they'll drop it lower than 10 pounds personally <laughs> Uh, 
Okay, so moving on to the last section of the podcast. Uh, this is where we look at a shirt from years gone by and we each select two goals that we instantly think of when we see that shirt. Now, this week we are looking at the 2001-2002 shirt, which is one of my favourite shirts of all time. Uh, it's that fantastic gold shirt that we had with Sega as our sponsor. And obviously there's memories that we think of and there's certainly two memories that we've spoken about behind the scenes that we instantly think of. Uh, so I'm going to go first this week. And I'm going to start with a goal that came on the opening day of the season. Now, in 2001, we faced Middlesbrough away uh, away from home at the Riverside. And we went there. And the start of the season is always that sort of barometer about where the club is and where we think we're going to be for the, for the season. And Arsenal went up to Middlesbrough and won by four goals to nil. And I, I can't remember the last time that we put out a statement like that on the opening day of a, of a campaign. And we really, really did put that statement out to say, look, we are serious. We we want to we want a challenge for this title, and we believe we can win it. Um, let's forget the fact that in the following game against Leeds United at home, we lost two one, <laughs> but we did put out that statement on the opening day. And there were goals from Thierry Henry, a Robert Pires penalty, and then two late goals from Dennis Bergkamp. And the goal that I'm selecting is Bergkamp's first goal to make it three nil, and that was. A wonderful bit of skill where he's been played in, I think, by Ashley Cole and cuts the ball with his, uh, with the outside of his right foot and in one fell swoop, moves it with the outside of his right foot and then passes it into the far corner with the inside of his right foot. And it was just a typically Dennis finish. And what I love about it is it just showed how competitive that squad was because Bergkamp didn't start that game. He started on the bench, came off the bench, scored twice, helped make it 4-0 and that kind of just summarised how good our squad was at that time that we could have a player of that magnificent quality on the bench and still be 2-0 up when he's come on the pitch. Yes. Yeah. It's a it's a wonderful goal, but a testament to the squad. And of course, I think something you neglected to mention, we never lost in gold either. And this was we the didn't. start of it. Set us on us where set us on our way. We didn't lose in gold, which uh I, I don't think that ever gets enough credit for that season. The fact that we went through the whole of a campaign without losing away from home before we then went and obviously became the Invincibles. Um, mm. I think I think that's a, a wonderful testament to the, the club and what Arsene Wenger created um, during that time period. But um, yeah, a real, really fantastic goal and fantastic memories uh, of that whole campaign. And I believe you are going to kick us off with your first selection. Yeah, this is one of my favourite wins, maybe ever, just in terms of how it came about, the feelings on the day. Um, it was when we won at Anfield 2-1. Um, I think Lippmann got a late, yeah, he did. late one to make it very nervy. Um, we went down to 10 men. Van Bronckhorst got sent, Van Bronckhorst got sent off. Um and I'm just going to talk about the second goal with 10 men. Uh, Robert Pires is on the left flank, as he as he often was. Steven Gerrard comes over to him. <laughs> Steven Gerrard does not know what he's getting himself into at this point. Um, <laughs> because Robert Pires glides past him like he isn't there with a tick-tock, uh, sort of left foot, right foot, absolute shimmies in with the hips. Gerrard doesn't know what continent he's in. Um, before Pires has just luxuriously glided past him. And this was... This was the goal that, for me, symbolises 
what those two brought to the team more than any other goal. I genuinely mean that. I don't think there's a more sort of what these two brought than this goal. Pires absolutely, as we've said, an outstanding assist. Jumberg has burst in from his right wing berth. Pires plants it across. Jumberg comes screaming in, finishes from, you know, four yards out, sprints over to the away fans in front of, you know, in front of that end where the uh, away fans are at Anfield. It was just, it gave you all those feelings. What character, what resourcefulness, what skill, what class. Um, and just brilliant players combining. Wonderful, wonderful, proper, like, the Arsenal moment there as well. I love, I love the celebrations when he obviously he goes and runs into the crowd, and I love mm. the, I love the commentary from that as well. Which Martin Tyler just shouting Freddie Lundberg, and it is two now, and then just says, "Well, this is awesome from Arsenal," and I just love everything about that moment. So, what a fantastic selection that was! Absolutely, absolutely. I'm a, I'm, feeling, I'm in a very good mood today. Uh, right, okay. over to you. Okay, over to me, and now. This is, again, I keep using this because there's so many goals that I absolutely love and I keep describing them as one of my favourite goals of all time. And (laughs) this is another one which I would put up there with my favourite goals of all time. And it is Robert Pires uh, with his outstanding individual goal away at Aston Villa. Uh, Now, if anyone hasn't seen this as an Arsenal fan, then I would question whether you are an Arsenal fan, regardless of the age you are. Um, it's worth going back through the history banks and through through um, YouTube to to see this goal because it's absolutely tremendous. Uh, Freddie Lundberg, so the reverse of what Andre's just described. Freddie Lundberg picks the ball up on the halfway line and plays a fantastic di- diagonal 60-yard pass to Robert Perez, who is up against uh, George Boateng. A wonderful, lofted touch over Boateng's head as he goes round him and then Peter Schmeichel thinks about coming out, comes a little bit too far out of his goal and Robert Pires just lofts it over his head in a nonchalant manner. And I think that just summarised what a fantastic player he was, but also what an incredible season he was having. Because up to that point, he had been alongside Thierry Henry, um, one of our best players that season. And the goal is just everything you would want from football. It just To me, it's a goal that summarises that football isn't just sport. It, it genuinely is an art form. And the amount of people I've had conversations with who just say, well, it's just people kicking a, kicking a bit of leather around a pitch. It's not. It's so much more than that. And it can be absolutely beautiful um, when it's done properly. And we've described a couple goals here that are just things of beauty. And this is probably the icing on, the, on top of that cake. Hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it, it's majestic. It is. Uh, I'm just applauding. I'm just applauding. Yeah, we touched We touched on it last week when we were doing the commentary quiz. Did. Um, and then obviously this show, we decided to talk about this and it, it instantly, all I can think of is Andy Gray going, well, I'm sorry. I'm applauding. <laughs> oh, stunning. Absolutely stunning. Super Robert Pires. How good were we back then? Just how good were we? I know obviously we're very happy about the win at Old Trafford, but if we look back then, how good were we at football? (laughs) We were just brilliant. (laughs) We could. Every type of goal, every player was just like nine out of ten or higher. Oh, 
magnificent, Go magnificent, on then. and a. It all culminated, Tom. It all culminated, you see, <laughs> in an explosion of celebration at Old Trafford. Uh, I'm not going to do it. I'm sure you can you can find the commentary that will do it better. We'll talk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, winning at Old Trafford 1-0. You mentioned it earlier. We had to go there and win. No Henri. No Bergkamp. Carnu and Wiltord up front. They Man United didn't get a look in, and this was them at you know this was a, a top top Man Man United. We bossed them. Vieira was incredible. We could have, we could still be playing now and they wouldn't have scored. Um, it's a goal that comes sort of out of nothing really. Um, Jungberg's played in uh, down the right. He shoots across goal. Bartes pushes it out to Wiltord, who's arriving, and slides it in first time to make it 1-0. Sprints over to the away support, down on his knees. Kanu jumps over him for creating that wonderful optical illusion where Kanu looks like he's nine foot three with more, you know, <laughs> he's capable of jumping over the stadium if he wants to. Um, <laughs> when, we, when we spoke about this before, I lost it for ages at, at that. <laughs> And when I was doing the edit, I, I, I went through, obviously, editing and listened back to it. And it made me laugh for probably 10 minutes after I'd actually edited it. Um, it's ridiculous. Uh, to the point that my mum uh, has had a very in-depth conversation with me about that image. And she was like, I watched the goal the other day and I, I just I couldn't see what you were talking about. My mum's American, by the way. This isn't just a, a rubbish impression. <laughs> Um, and I had to point out to her exactly when it was that Carnu is eighteen foot tall. I have to, I have to, I have to ask you: How would you, bearing in mind we know that um, your mum is is our biggest fan? She is. How would you rate your impression of her voice just then, out of ten? It's not a great impression. I'll, I'll be honest. It's a very generic American impression, which isn't even that good for a generic impression. Um, but I, I'm sure she'll be uh, delighted that we're having this conversation about my impression of her on our <laughs> podcast. So sorry, Mum. I'm sorry for the poor impression. Um, I will work on it and try and get better. Yeah, because I would have thought she was possibly Irish. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I know she's American because you've told me. Tom, I how big is Carlo? <laughs> <laughs> I think impressions aren't your thing. Um, um, but uh, Will Todd, uh, <laughs> Will Todd's thing was scoring at Old Trafford in monumental fashion. Um, this was just, you know, to go there and win this week was wonderful to go there and win the title and know that, you know, um, what's the, what was the banner champions section? I think it says Old Trafford champions section. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful. And and if you go onto YouTube and just type in Will Todd Goldie Man U, the first uh, sort of um, image that they use, there's one of Vieira, Ashley Cole and Sol Campbell just letting out pure emotion. I'll, I'll snap the image over, but it's just, we were colossal then, you know, as good as we were at the weekend, we were colossal then, as you said, we were just so good. And to go there and win, it's just one of those things I'm so grateful we lived through and so grateful our club did this against a team we absolutely hated to go and win on their ground 
was special. I mean, ice, icing, more than icing was put on the cake when we went and did um, uh, when we went and did the same thing at White Hart Lane two years later. Um, but this was just incredible. And what a kit, what a goal, what a season. Summed up magnificently. And we've gone full circle because we started by speaking about a 1-0 victory in Manchester United. We've ended by speaking about a 1-0 victory in Manchester United. And it's nice to end on a really, really positive note because too often we've brought the tone down right at the last minute and destroyed <laughs> yeah. all our good work. So it's really good today to be able to end things on such a high. So thank you very much to everyone who's listening. Um, if you'd like to find us on so- social media, you can by searching for The Boys in Red and White on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Uh, we also have a website which is www.theboysinredandwhite.com and all that's left for me to do is to thank Andre for his time. So thank you, Mr. Grayson. Oh, thank you, Tom. Absolute uh, joy. The happiest, the, the, the second happiest we've done, the FA Cup final was number one. Yeah, it's really, really been a joy to record and we'll be back next week with another podcast. 